You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, it's again so good to be together today. Um, for those of you that have been joining us here recently, you'll know that we've been working our way through the, the Gospel of John. It's been a great series so far, but today we're going to hit the pause button just for one Sunday before we continue on with that next Sunday. And for those of you that may be new with us, um, we have a, uh, our teacher that is joining us today, uh, Pastor Bob Lehman. It's always, he's, ever since I've been on staff for the last three years or so, he's been a part of our teaching team, and it's always an honor and a privilege to have him join us and to bring God's Word for us. So without further ado, I would love for you, would you help me join, join me in welcoming Pastor Bob today? <laughs> Good to have you, Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? This is weird. Doing some construction or something today, huh? Is that it? Oh, no, we'll, we'll talk about it here in a little bit. Hey, this is so awesome. I am so glad to be back. I, I, uh, I love North Valley. I love being here. I feel like I'm a part of North Valley and uh, uh, know so many of you uh, over the last few years and stuff, so it's, it's really a, a privilege. Isn't it interesting, you know, that Pastor Ryan always has me come, you know, during Labor Day or, you know, things, you know, you know, he's out doing things and stuff. Hey, it's a privilege. Believe me, just to be here is a privilege. And I, I, my prayer is that God will use some of these words here today to change all of us. Uh, I don't know if you have that kind of attitude. I, I hope you do. Um, I mentioned this maybe a year ago. Um, sometimes when we go to church, we're just going through the motions. We're kind of Zoom calling, you know, with, with, with God. In other words, you know, yeah, a little bit of attention on the screen, but we're doing other things. You know, we're, we're playing a game on our, our phone or whatever it is. You know, we, we're just kind of calling in. Can I suggest something that every week as you come to worship, as you're pulling to the parking lot, you're asking yourself this question. God, what are you going to do today that's going to change my life? I think that that can absolutely revolutionize your experience here in church. A simple question, God, what are you going to do today that's going to change my life? So why don't we ask God to do that right now? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, teach us things today. Cause experiences that happen today at North Valley that will change our life. Oh Lord, Maybe a minuscule change, maybe a big one, but Lord, you are the change agent, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would do that, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. The title of the message uh, this morning is Whatever It Takes, and I got to thinking about that phrase. That's a phrase that we use a lot. In fact, we use it so much that it kind of loses its meaning. Uh, We'll say, you know, I'm going to be, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the best dad in the world. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in shape. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be, you know, an, an awesome parent. And we say that, and there is a little bit of meaning behind it. However, when things get tough, maybe we don't hold on to the phrase like we thought we would. I'll do whatever it takes to be a great husband until... She doesn't do what I'm asking her to do. I will do whatever it takes to get in shape until you take away my Twinkies. 
will do whatever it takes to be a great parent until you ask me to change a poopy diaper. Can you say poopy? Okay, I guess you can. Yeah, we say this all the time. I often have thought, I've used that phrase with God. Oh God, I'll do whatever it takes to be a devoted follower of yours. Whatever it takes, God. But in the same way, when things get kind of rough, kind of tough, sometimes that phrase goes out the window. The message today is maybe to renew that in all of our hearts. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes today. So that today, I'm walking in full devotion to you. So that's where we're going with this. You know, what am I willing to do to be living the kind of life that Jesus invited me to live? Now, for the most part, the message today is not acquiring new information mode. Okay? Instead of you know getting new information, today we're in choice mode. What decisions are going to help me accomplish the plans that God has for my life. Because the majority of people that I know who say that they're Christ followers say that the primary enemy to our full devotion to Christ is not opposition. It's not something from the outside. It's not persecution. Oh my goodness, I'm being so persecuted. No, it's none of that. The primary enemy for our full devotion to Christ, you ready for it, is busyness. You know, do you live where I live? I mean, we are in this hurry up kind of culture right now. And I find that the busyness, this hurriness, is something that kind of takes away from a whole lot of things, but it certainly takes away from my full devotion to Christ because I'm tired. I'm fatigued, I'm overcommitted, I say yes too much, I'm running too fast, I'm running too hard. It's affecting my relationships with God, certainly, but with my family, my kids, my other people. It even does that at work. And I believe that people want this sane, unhurried, God-honoring way of life. It's not complicated. But something happens that introduces busyness to our life. And here's the word. It's the biblical word we're going to use today. It's the one to write in your notes. The Bible's word for this condition that we find ourselves often in. You ready? Is idolatry. It just is. It's... Saying it as is, our way of life, you understand, it indicates at some level all of us here in this room are idolaters. I know, crazy, but go with me on this because I think you'll find that if we can find some solution to the hurriedness and the busyness, we're going to find rest for our soul that Christ gives us, wants to give us, wants to lavish upon us. I think everyone in this room can make these decisions. The problem is we're we're a bit afraid. If I really do follow Jesus, unhurried, 
slowing down, getting rid of these idols in my life, then I'll miss out what I want most. And what I want most is the corner office. What I want most is to be a player. What I want most is, is to live without disappointment of my parents or disappointment of others. Or I'll live with insecurity and anxiety because I'm just not sure that, that God is gonna, really going to take care of me unless I hurry up and I do and I do, I do, I do, I do, and I do all these things. And there's something in your life that prevents you from saying yes to what you know to be God's way of life. That something, folks, is an idol. And that idol needs to be dethroned. And if you're watching here online and stuff, I, I feel like I need to come off the stage. And the reason I need to do that is to let you know and remind you that I'm working through this myself. I'm not up here looking down. We're here at the same level. Do you know that one of the saddest statements about Israel's kings in the Old Testament, and it occurred many, many times in the Old Testament, and this is the statement, it's very sad, and it's the statement, they failed to tear down the idols. You know, the history of Israel's kings is kind of interesting. The history was, you know, here'd come a king, and maybe it was a good king, and they'd do some good things, and then followed by a bad king. And then a good king and a bad king, and they go back and forth and stuff. It, it's interesting to read Judges. It's interesting to read the Kings and, and the Chronicles. Fascinating. But there were good kings that even the good king failed to tear down the idols. And so I want to talk about two of them. You ready? That's a rhetorical question. I don't want you to say, yeah, we're ready. Okay, we're ready. Okay, thank you. Man, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the first one is found in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 43, and it's about a king named Jehoshaphat, who, by the way, was awesome. He was a good king. And this is what it says about King Jehoshaphat, among other things. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That is a great statement. He did what was right, but the idols were not destroyed. It goes on, and the high places were not removed. The people continued to worship other gods. Now, now Jehoshaphat was a good, God, a good king. He was a good dude. He just failed to do this one little easy teensy thing, and it caused the people of Israel to take a left turn. Now, I want to tell you about another one. He, came, he became a king as a kid, an eight-year-old. Eight years old, he becomes the king of, 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 of Israel. I love this thing. His name was King Josiah. He's also a good king. 2 Kings 22, just verses 1 and 2 to kind of get, set the context here. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Okay, His mother's name was Dedidah daughter of Adadiah. She was from Boscoth. Boy, these are great words, aren't they? 
he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or left. So another good king, Jehoshaphat, good king, Josiah, good king. But if you were to skip down to the next chapter and look at verse 12, it says, he pulled down the altars, okay, the very thing that Jehoshaphat didn't do, he pulled down the altars of the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz, and the altars of Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed from there, smashed them into pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kindred Valley. And as you know, the Kindred Valley, some of you might know that, it was the garbage dump. That's where things were, were smoldering. The Kindred Valley was often referred to as hell because it was always on fire. And that's where he threw all these smashed idols. So, the message this morning is about smashed idols. I want to look at four idols that mess with us the most. I'm just saying. Idol number one. I'll call it career achievement. And this is like show and tell. Career achievement. It's kind of being pictured here as a ladder. Because career achievement is all about climbing the ladder. And we have a fixed camera right now, so now they're looking at me right here. Okay. Climbing the ladder. That's what we call, you know, this career achievement. Which, by the way, careers are great. Jobs are great. I'm not taking anything about that. It's not a bad thing to have work that you love. It's a good thing to give yourself to it. But in our society, we're often taught to idolize the ladder climbing of careers. It's just a part of our society. We want to climb the ladder. And this is you if the primary reality in your life, the thing you want more than anything else, is to climb your career ladder. And the truth is, your family, God, and pretty much anything else gets leftovers. A little voice inside of your head says, if you don't climb the ladder, you're going to end up being one of those ordinary people. Average. You won't count. And if this is you, the truth is that much, if not most, of your identity and your self-esteem, the way you look at yourself, comes from this. I I just got to say, it does. In fact, you know, if I were to ask you, who are you? I mean, in your deepest being, who are you? Most of us would say something like, well, I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. I'm an insurance salesman. I'm a nuclear scientist. I'm a police officer. And the bottom line, this is such an important thing for us to understand, is that's not who you are. That's what you do. And as hard as it is, I've got four kids, I've got 14 grandkids, I'm a grandpa. 
But even my family, my kids are held with an open hand knowing that I could lose them. My identity isn't in them. My identity is not what I do. It's, listen, it's whose I am. In my deepest identity, you know who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ? Listen to this. This will blow you away. I'm a saint. As we leave here today, you can call me Saint Bob. I am. And so are you if you know Jesus Christ. The word is the word hagias. It means set apart. You are set apart for God because he saved you. And frankly, this has nothing to do with this message, but I believe that a lot of teenagers, a lot of young people are really messed up in this idea of identity. Because they don't know who they are, they search desperately to find out who they are, and they land on things that even in their heart of hearts, most would not really land on. Gender identity. Crazy stuff. But because that's such an important thing, aspect of who we are part of the great thing that you do as a parent as a grandparent as a follower of jesus is to remind people who they are in their deepest sense of identity because if you get that right all the other things tend to fall into place so there's an idol of career achievement and and (laughs) being being a ladder climber can i throw out to you (laughs) this is so interesting to me probably bore you to death If you're bored, raise your hand. No, don't do that. I want to tell you about one of the greatest ladder climbers in all of the New Testament. A little history lesson here because it really is interesting to me. It's found in Acts chapter 12, and the ladder climber I want to talk about, his name was Herod. Now, there were a whole lot of Herods in the Bible, okay? The granddaddy of them all was Herod the Great, and he was the one who killed all the two-year-olds just to see if they couldn't get rid of baby Jesus, right? I mean, that's Herod the Great. That's the granddaddy. But every one of his kids and his grandkids were just as bloodthirsty as he was. And they were all named Herod, too. Kind of like George Foreman. I think he named all his kids George. You know, all the kids are named Herod. Well, in Acts chapter 12, there's a Herod. He was known as Herod Agrippa I. Okay? Herod Agrippa. Okay, remember, Agrippa I. I want you to remember this. Okay, this particular one was a grandson of Herod the Great, okay? And he was a nephew of another Herod named Antipas. So you got Herod Agrippa and you have Herod Antipas, okay? Herod Antipas was the one that wanted to kill Jesus. You know, he was the one that Jesus says, go tell that fox. I don't know if you remember that in the New Testament. He's talking about Herod, you know, Antipas, okay? That's, that's who he's talking about. Well, here's the deal. His nephew, Herod, who was he? Agrippa, thank you, the first. Herod, oh, I love that man. This, this is so cool. Anyway, Herod Agrippa, he was so ambitious, he was a ladder climber in terms of career. So his uncle, Antipas, over here, he gave him a job. He put him on the payroll. But he was so ambitious that he got in trouble for trying to extend his power using bribes. And he lost the job. Now, I know those of you who follow politics today and the media and so on, 
this idea of bribery and corruption in government is a shock to you. I, I understand that. But back then, it was the real deal. That's how people got ahead. They bribed people and all that kind of thing, right? Well, here it is. Agrippa wasn't through. He got fired because he was a ladder climber, but he wasn't through. So he borrows some money. He goes to Rome using money and bribes and flattery and so on. And he hitches his wagon to a, a star that's rising. The star that was rising was a dude named Caligula. And Caligula eventually became the emperor of Rome, and he was not a good emperor. He was a bloodthirsty emperor like many of them were. So when he became emperor, he named Herod Agrippa king over a huge region. All the other Herods there, uncles and cousins and so on, they weren't named king. In fact, Antipas... Remember him that fired him? Antipas, he was just called a tetrarch. So his wife, this is great history here, his wife said to, to, to him, you got to go talk to the emperor and have him make you king too. So he does. He and his wife travel to Rome and ask Caligula, well, make me a king because Agrippa is a king. Caligula didn't do it. He killed him. He died. He killed him. So now we're left with King, and he's still climbing the ladder. And, and this is so interesting. In verse 19 of Acts chapter 12, it says, Then Herod, that's Agrippa, went to Judah, uh, from Judah to Caesarea, stayed there for a while. He had been quarreling with other people in Tyre and Sidon, those are a couple of cities. And now they joined together, sought an audience with him, having secured support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. This is how powerful Agrippa has become. He now has countries that are depending on him for their food and their food supply and, and, and so on. It goes on. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne. This is a powerful dude. And delivered a public address to the people. Now listen to this. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not a mere mortal. Has anybody ever said that to you? You know, maybe when you're talking? Oh, man. That's the voice of a God right there. Well, that's how this guy had climbed the ladder. He now was being referred to as a God. Looks what happens, as you see already in the text. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Here's the deal. In the end, the greatest ladder climbers that have ever lived, you supply the name, you supply the face, you supply the location, they all will end up in the same place, food for worms. That's just the way it is. This idol of ladder climbing is not an obvious one. It's not like the Baals. It's not like Buddha. It's not like, you know, it, I, I've been in India five times. And I'm amazed at every street corner, there's all sorts of these gold things and statues and idols. And stuff. It's not like that. This is subtle. I know this guy is a marketplace guy, he's a Christian guy and stuff. A raging workaholic. 
He makes most of his waking hours are just spent in the office on the road and so on. And he tells me, you know, my family just doesn't understand. I'm doing this for them. I'd much rather be home. And you know what the bottom line is? You ready? No. You wouldn't rather be home. Because when you're at work, you've got people who are serving you. You've got secretaries, and you've got this, and you've got that, and all those kind of things. I love giving Andy a hard time. Good friend for years and years. Police officer. Police officers have one of the hardest jobs there is. And I honor you, buddy. But I'll tell you, relationships are hard for police officers. You know why? Because when he's on the street, he's in control. He says this, and it happens. Comply. It has to happen. You take that kind of mindset into a home where people do everything you say, it can be disaster. I'm just saying, this is a subtle little idol that can do you in if you're not careful. Let me go on. Here's a second one. Idol number one, career. Idol number two is a smiley face. Now everybody right now just go, ah. What in the world is this doing as an idol? What do I mean by that? The second idol is this wrestling with this idea of approval. That I need to have everybody's approval in order to be happy. This is where I struggle. Because a lot of people in this room, the reality is you live to try to gain the approval or to at least skirt the disapproval of certain people. You live for it. And the reality is when you do that, God and everything else gets the leftovers. Because if everybody is not giving you a smiley face, if anybody is disappointed with you, your inner world gets shaky. Hit a nerve? This is where I live. Let me see what this looks like. You guys ever watch uh, America's Got Talent? I'll go ahead and admit it, everybody does, right? One of the things about that is that somebody comes up and is going to do their talent, whatever it is. You know, they're a ventriloquist, they're a singer, whatever it is. And so you're up here on stage, and there are a lot of people out there, right? But the most important is there are four judges out there, right? And they have a big red button in front of each of them. What does that button do? I know it's Labor Day weekend, but you know, if you want to, you can just say, ah, because when they push it, they're saying, I don't like what you're doing on stage. Uh, and if you get all of them, uh, they're saying, we want you off the stage. You do not have our approval. 
You are not doing a good job. Now listen, I have a very tender heart. One X would kill me. I would jump off the stage. I'd be a, I'd be a raging maniac. But if this is your idol, you've got a panel of judges that are living right here in your head. And all it takes is one, uh, and you're devastated. One critical look, one critical comment, because approval is everything. And I'm just saying it will do you in. And that is an idol as surely as some golden image is. I have to please my parents. I have to please my teachers, my authority fingers, my, uh, figures, my, my peers, my boss, other people in my field, my kids. Their whole life is about uh, buzzer avoidance. And we just carry them with us. And so I say yes to commitments to make people happy because... I worship the God of approval. People lose decades of their life and they start living somebody else's life, not their own. So Paul said something about that, and I love this, and this may be an action thing for you to do. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this. With me, that's how it starts off. With me, it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. This is hugey magrugy. This is huge. Paul says, it's a small thing if you judge me. It's a teensy-weensy thing if I don't get your approval. So what do you need to do to dethrone this God, can I suggest? Maybe it's real clear to you that there is a person, a commitment in your life that you need to say no to so that you can say yes to God. And you know who that person is right now. And maybe for some of you in this room, it's a parent who years ago has already passed away. But you're still living for their approval. Maybe you need to get alone with God, use a journal, write down the names of people that you're letting them sit on the jury in your mind. Maybe for some of you, you need to take a break from social media. Take a break from it. One bad social media post can ruin a life. Rates of suicide or self-harming is just rising like crazy. There's no one reason why, but many experts say social media has made it harder to escape 
this idol. Let me go on. There's a third one. And we may just get to three, but I am coming back in October. I'll give you four. (laughs) And it's symbolized by this. The lock. How in the world can this be an idol? Well, it's the idol of security. It's the idol of security. For a lot of us, when we think about the future, we just flat out are scared. Now, certainly a financial security, and I understand that, and it's important. I have a financial planner. I encourage you to do that, encourage a budget. I'm a huge Dave Ramsey dude, okay? I don't owe any money at that place in my life where I, I don't owe anything. Mortgage, car, nothing. So I'm big on this, so plan, plan, plan. But for some of you, You can't stop worrying. You look at the news and what terrible, awful stuff has happened in Afghanistan and what could happen in Taiwan and what could happen in North Korea and what could happen here or there or the other things. You're concerned about your health. I'm concerned about my health. There has never been a time in our world where things are held more in an open palm than ever before. So I get it. But here's when this becomes an idol. When we do all we can to maneuver and manipulate so that I did it myself and now I'm secure. You see, the scripture teaches strongly that our security is not found in all the good things that we do. Our security is found only in the God who is bigger than Afghanistan. Bigger than what happened 20 years ago at 9-11. Bigger than a health scare and a pandemic. Of all people on this planet, you and I ought to be the ones leading the way saying, yes, things are tough, yes, things are difficult, but I have a rock-solid relationship with Jesus, and I don't fear a lot of the things that other people do. Am I concerned? Do I plan? Do I budget? Absolutely. But if you can't stop worrying, That might be your idol. So what do we do? I think we have to do something about it. Because if you leave here and say, oh, that was such a nice sermon today, you lost it. Do you know what happened when they made the golden calf in the Old Testament? Oh, I love this. You know, the golden calf, maybe you saw the Ten Commandments, you know, so here's this golden calf. You know what the scripture says? They broke it up. And then they ground it up into powder. And then they made everybody drink a cup of it. We have a shredding machine. No, I'm not going to do that. But the thing is, they did something tangible to dethrone 
what they had been worshiping. We can't leave here without you and I dethroning what maybe subtly we've elevated to a place of idol worship. So I'd like you to do as the band comes to, as you bow your heads right now, this sounds funky like something on TV, but bow your heads. And as I go over and mention these three idols, if one of these kind of hit a nerve with you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? So here we go. How about the career advancement? You know, it's just been elevated to a place where you're thinking more of that than you are of other things, and it's taking away your time with God, time with your family, and time with others. If that is an idol that needs to be dethroned in your life, would you raise your hand right now? Would you put it up? Great. Maybe for you, it's that smiley face, that need for approval, or the avoidance of the buzzer. Maybe you've had people in your head that you've been trying to please for years. And it's time for you to dethrone that idol. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of us. I'm with you. There are a lot of us. How about this one of security? In light of what's happening in our world today, maybe what's happening in our finances, what's happening, we've been trying to manipulate it. We watch all the programs, but we just can't stop worrying. And it's time to dethrone that. Would you raise your hand right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then may I pray with you right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that a recognition of an idol is the first step of dethroning it. Lord, may we follow through, recognize that it's a little thing because you're the big thing. May our life, may our focus be on you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And may we, like Josiah in the Old Testament, get rid of all of this stuff that takes our attention away from you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.